going to say stuff about all of that. Uh, in the commentary that I was reading, one of them this week, uh, he had four different chapters on what I'm going to talk about today in hopefully about 22 minutes. So we'll see how I go, um, but let's, uh, let's get into it. Uh, Sunday school teacher posed a question to her class. She says, class, if I were to sell my house and my car and donate my possessions to charity, if I gave all of the money to the church, would I get into heaven? And the kids all together, they said, no. And then uh, the teacher asked, well, what if I was to keep the church clean and mow the lawns and, uh, and keep everything neat and tidy and would, would I get into heaven? And all together, they said, no. And the teacher's a little bit perplexed, and she says, well, how then can I get into heaven? And, and a cheeky little five-year-old puts up his hand and says, well, you'd have to die first, miss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are um, lots of jokes about the pearly gates and how we get into heaven. You know, there's St. Peter asking what good deeds we've done or what denomination we're in or, um, you know, what job we did or whether we're faithful in our marriage. Uh, and they're all kind of funny, but, but I think, Perhaps these jokes stem from the fact that people are actually a little bit worried about what's going to happen on the day that they meet God, um, what's going to happen when we die. And uh, so I want to ask you two questions. These are not a joke. They're actually two questions that will help you diagnose whether you have confidence about what happens on the day that you meet Jesus uh, after you die. These are two questions from a, an old program called Evangelism Explosion. Uh, it was a, a program that ended up with lots and lots of people becoming Christians. But here's the first question. Do you know for sure that you'll go to heaven one day? I just have to think, do you know for sure, you're 100% confident? And the second question, if God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? What would you say to God? Why should I let you in? I hope by the end of this morning you can answer those questions confidently. Um, why don't we pray that God would help us now as we think about this most important issue. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please speak to us now through your word. Help us know how to be saved and help us to trust Jesus and help us have confidence in him alone. And we pray this in Jesus' saving name. Amen. Uh, well, we are, of course, in the middle of our term for series from the, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, we're calling it Choosing Joy because Paul keeps teaching us how to rejoice in the Lord no matter what circumstances surround us. And uh, Paul actually starts our section today with a command that we should rejoice as Christians. That's what he says. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. So Paul instructs us as Christians to rejoice in the Lord, and then he says that strange line. He says, if we rejoice in the Lord, it's a safeguard for us. How is it a safeguard for us to rejoice in the Lord, well, coal miners, of course, knew that uh, in mines there were dangerous gases that can amass. There's uh, carbon monoxide, which silently asphyxiates, and then there's methane, which explodes. And uh, in the olden days, and even today, there are many accidents in mines because of deadly gases. But, of course, they did find a very low-tech solution, even from the early days of mining. It's there on the screen, you know the canary in the cage. Uh, canaries are very sensitive, and so they'd take the canary down the mine, and if the canary was still singing, everything was okay. But if the canary stopped singing, you know you're in trouble, and you need to make a move and get out of there. Well, Christian joy is a little bit like the canary when it's singing. One of the first effects of sin or, or maybe doctrinal error is that we lose our joy in Christ. Uh, and when our heart stops singing... 
it's a warning for us to watch out because something might be going wrong with our faith. If we lose our joy, it's a danger. And I think one of the biggest errors that we can make is to forget the amazing grace of Jesus and, and go back to works-based religion, uh, thinking that we can earn our salvation by the things that we do. Uh, and so our first big idea is false hope. Um, this is what Paul gets so angry about in verse 2 of our passage. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He says, for it's we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. It's we who boast in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. Um, I think this is all about that expression, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, you know, that's, I think that's what Paula was talking about. There were people coming into the church. Uh, they said they were Christian teachers and they were teaching that Christians needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. And we read about it in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. There are these people who came and they said, no, 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 you have to be circumcised if you're going to be saved. And then afterwards they said, and you've also got to keep all of the laws of Moses. I think the problem is they were confusing an important idea from the Old Testament, this idea of circumcision. So in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with his people, with his chosen people, the Israelites. Uh, he would be their God and they would be his people. And a sign of that covenant, a sign of that promise, was the sign of circumcision. It literally marked Jewish men as belonging to God. And so you can imagine, uh, our letter's only written about 30 years after Jesus' death. And in this early church, there are lots of people who grew up Jewish, and now they've become Christians. And, and so they're trying to grapple with that question, how do we obey Jesus, and yet also, what do we do with the Old Testament laws? Do we, do we throw the whole lot out? Do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? How does this fit with Jesus' teachings? And for some of them, the answer was, well, just do it all. Um, you know, do Jesus plus the Old Testament. Um, get circumcised, keep the law of Moses, um, do Jesus plus everything else. Um, and what's the harm in that, you might ask? What, what's the harm of doing Jesus plus some other stuff? You know, hedge your bets a little bit, Jesus plus some religious works, or, or Jesus plus being good, or Jesus plus ticking all the religious boxes, or, or Jesus plus maybe even some of the other great religious teachers, because they say good things, don't they? Jesus plus that, maybe Jesus plus anything. Well, what's the harm? Well, well, look at Paul's language. He says, watch out for anybody who teaches Jesus plus. Because they are dogs, they are evildoers, they are mutilators of the flesh. This is a serious distortion of the truth, Paul says. He wants us to be warned in the strongest way. There is nothing harmless about Jesus plus other stuff. Because if you put your confidence in anything other than Jesus, then you've fallen victim to the wolf in sheep's clothing. Look at verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. So those false teachers, right, they were putting their confidence in the flesh, literally in the flesh, in the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision. You know, they thought that if a man was circumcised, that meant that he belonged to God and he belonged to all the promises of God. Their confidence was in the flesh and uh, in the physical task that they performed to be obedient to God. But contrast that with Paul, who says, it is we who are the circumcision, that is, as Christians. We are the circumcision who serve God by His Spirit. So Paul is saying that as Christians, our circumcision is a spiritual matter rather than one of flesh. We're, we're marked as belonging to God by His Spirit 
rather than by a mark of the flesh. And Paul goes on, the Christian's boast is in Christ Jesus, not, not in physical acts of obedience. Our confidence is in Christ, not works, spirit, not flesh. Although Paul says if anybody had reason to put confidence in the flesh, he did. Um, I love this. Um, can you think for the moment about the most religious person you know? Maybe the most religious person in history other than Jesus. Who would it be? Oh, I thought about Mother Teresa. She was amazing. All of her life serving the poor in Calcutta. I think about people like John Wesley who founded the holiness movement. He spent every day trying to not sin, just to be holy and leading others into it. It was awesome. Um, what about Billy Graham? He preached to a billion people, several billion people at one stage. Probably the most influential preacher since Jesus. Who else would be really holy? Popes? Archbishops? I don't know, ministers? <laughs> Maybe not. Um, surely if anybody could, could have confidence in the religious things that they did, it would be people like that. And now Paul says, well, they got nothing. His religion would trump them all. This is what he says about his own achievements. He says, if somebody else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Isn't that smug? I've got more. He was circumcised on the eighth days of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. As for zeal, he persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, flawless, faultless. Wrong word, faultless. Um, if anybody could boast about their religious credentials, it's Paul, isn't it? He's literally, according to the Old Testament law, circumcised on the eighth day. He's one of God's chosen people, Israel. He, is, uh, uh, he can trace his lineage back to the tribe of Benjamin. He's this Hebrew of Hebrews. Literally, both his parents were Hebrews. He's a Hebrew out of Hebrews. And so he is full-blooded God's people. There's no, nothing else. He's fully Jewish. And then when it came to his religion, it was not just that he was um, uh, uh, genetically Jewish. He, he followed the law. He was a Pharisee. Uh, they were the most strict of the Old Testament, uh, sorry, the, the strict of the, uh, the Jews. Um, they followed the laws as observantly as they could, more strictly than anybody else. Um, in his zeal, uh, when he was a Jew, Paul actually persecuted the early church. Uh, when Stephen uh, gets stoned to death, in Acts chapter 7, Paul, or as he was known back then, Saul, he was the guy who was officiating at the stoning. He was the one who gave approval for it and signed off. Uh, in uh, Galatians 1, Paul says that he tried to destroy the Christian church before he met Jesus. And then there's this last reason for Paul's confidence in the flesh. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Uh, it's this mic drop moment, I think. And um, Paul says, if you wanted to find somebody who was religiously perfect... Um, Look at me. It was him, he says. I was faultless. Uh, Old Testament laws kept them all perfectly. Um, can you imagine the audacity to be able to look back at your life, everything you ever did, and say, there is not one thing I've ever done wrong. Not one mistake ever. Not one time I broke a rule. Not one time I made a mistake. Not one time I sinned. Um, that was Paul's estimation of his life. He was faultless. I'm trying to imagine what he was like as a kid. I reckon he was pretty precocious. Um, <laughs> um, many of us aren't that self-confident, but do you know what? If we were to look back at our lives, we would look back and we'd say, but I was a good person, right? I, I was a good person. I did good things. Um, come back to that question at the beginning. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, I think many of us would want to say, well, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? And the problem is it isn't enough 
Because when we look back at our lives, there's none of us who could say I was faultless. None of us who could say I was righteous. None of us who could say I was perfect. Because all of us make mistakes. We all do things that hurt other people and we all do things that are not good for us. Because there's none of us who live lives that are the way that God wants us to live the way that he intended for us to live. Um, Our Old Testament Bible reading, uh, Deuteronomy 6, it's this famous scripture. Uh, Devout Jews actually say those words every single day. It's called the Shema. It's come from the Hebrew word to hear, O Israel. Uh, Every day they're called to hear, O Israel. Hear what God wants for you. Every morning or every night they recite this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. If you could sum up the Old Testament law, And Jesus did exactly the same, didn't he? He says it comes down to this. Love God with everything. Love him with your heart. Love him with your soul. Love him with your strength. Love him with your mind, with your body, with every action, with every thought, with every decision. That's not easy, is it? In fact, it's impossible if you try to do it in your own strength. But Paul thought he was doing it in his old life. He thought that's what he was doing until he met Jesus. There's a meme, um, a meme is a picture on the internet with words that are funny, a joke, I guess. Uh, there is a meme on the internet, um, it's a group of men in a bodybuilding contest, I'm not going to show it because they're all in speedos, it's a bit gross, um, <laughs> but these guys, they're in a bodybuilding contest, um, they're all muscular, they're all posing, uh, they're all wearing that ridiculous shade of fake tan that you wear in a, in a muscle building contest, and um, they're all doing that, except for this one guy, <laughs> who's kind of got a round belly, and he's white, he's pale as anything, and uh, he's not muscular at all. And you wonder, what is he doing in there? And uh, he's completely out of his league. And uh, I reckon that's what happened to Paul when he met Jesus. You know, in his own estimation, his gains were massive. Um, He thought he was a religious heavyweight. Then he meets Jesus, and he realizes that none of that religious stuff mattered at all. This is what he says. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul used to look at his religious credentials and uh, he saw them as something to boast about. But now when he compares himself to the righteousness of Christ, he realized that all of his gains, they meant nothing. Uh, None of that religious rule keeping uh, helped him get closer to God. In fact, looking back on it, it actually detracted from his relationship with God. Because who needs God if you can earn salvation by your own sweat and effort? You don't need God if you can earn your own salvation. You don't need Him at all. But looking back, Paul realizes that it was all for nothing. It was actually a loss, not a gain. All, all of his good works, they're not merit certificates that you can hold up at the pearly gates. Um, you can't show them for entry into heaven. Actually, he realizes they're all garbage. They're all rubbish. You, they're garbage that you want to throw away because you don't want to take them to heaven and stink up the place. Instead, do you see what Paul gained? Look at verse 8. He considers those old gains garbage that he might gain Christ. 
And you see what Paul gains in Christ. Look at verse 9. Paul wants to be found in Jesus, not having this righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness which is through faith in Christ. Righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. See, as a young man, Paul, Paul believed that he had attained righteousness through keeping religious laws. Uh, faultlessly, do you remember, he said. But now he realizes that righteousness is not something you can earn on your own, no matter how many religious good works you do. Instead, the true gain of Christianity is that our righteousness comes from God. It comes from God on the basis of faith, through faith in Jesus Christ. And now, I didn't grow up in church. Did you know that? I didn't become a Christian until I was 16. Uh, I didn't grow up in a religious family. But if you'd asked me that question, you know, why should I let you into, into heaven? I would have answered that I was a good person. And actually, I've been to church three or four times when I was a kid, so that's got to count for something, right? I was like Paul. I thought that God wanted to see our religious sticker chart. You know, here's all of the good religious things I did. Look at all my stickers. I thought that's what God wanted to see. But this passage tells us that our religious sticker chart, it means nothing. So it doesn't matter if your parents were C of E. It doesn't matter if you were baptized in an Anglican. It doesn't matter if you were confirmed. It doesn't matter if you took communion. It doesn't matter if you gave to the poor. It doesn't matter if you performed any other religious works. None of that matters if you thought that they were about earning your righteousness. None of that matters if you think that's what makes you right with God. Because they don't. Instead, what matters, verse 8, is knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's knowing Jesus and putting our faith in Him. Oh, that's how we gain righteousness. That's how we're made right with God, which is what righteousness means. When we trust that Jesus' perfect life and death on our behalf pays the penalty for sin. So we're no longer counted sinful, but forgiven, and we're restored into this right relationship with God. That's, that's what righteousness is. So if God would ask you that question, why should I let you into my heaven? The answer is obvious, isn't it? Because I trust in Jesus. He let me in because I, because I know Jesus, I trust him. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what he's done. I know that I'm made right with you by grace alone and through faith alone and in Christ alone. Last big idea is how can you be certain about this? How can you, how can you have confidence? How can you be sure? Because that's that question. Are you sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? Um, according to Facebook, I have 1,374 friends. Um, I suspect if I scrolled through the list of names, I would remember where I knew most of them from. Uh, a few people, possibly not, they might have snuck in there. Some of them are good friends. Um, some of them are acquaintances. And uh, lots of people I went to church with over the years. Some of you have come back and <laughs> friends from over a decade ago. Um, Facebook tells you that you have lots of friends. But I wonder how many of those people I really know. I mean, you know, how many I've spent significant times with or how many I've shared struggles with or who've shared their struggles with me or who've walked alongside me when tough things have happened in my life. Um, you know, I see when my friends post their milestones. I know when it's their kid's birthday or when they're in year 12 and graduate. But I don't really know what's going on for them. Deep down inside, I don't really know them at all. It's a very distorted picture of a relationship, isn't it? But when you see the picture of Paul and his relationship with Jesus, it's so much more. It's this picture of an ever-deepening friendship with Jesus where Paul knows Jesus more and more as time goes on. Have a look what he says. He says, I want to know Christ. That's what he wants. I want to know Christ. 
He has to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not, not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I think about, I think about a lot of my Facebook friends and uh, if I'm honest, they are people I used to know. People I used to know. You know, they were part of my life once upon a time, but I don't know them anymore. And uh, some people are like that with Jesus. You know, they met him in Sunday school, but their relationship never developed. They didn't stick with him. Or or maybe he was part of their life during youth group, but they let him drift out of their life because they grew up or they grew out of that little phase. Heard that before? Some people walk away from Jesus when the troubles of this lifetime steal their joy but Paul doesn't want that to happen to us do you remember how he began he said rejoice in the Lord have joy in the Lord Uh, take joy in the fact that you don't have to slave away to earn your righteousness take joy in the promise that you are saved if you put your trust in Jesus take joy in Jesus and how do you do that how do you enjoy Jesus every day well you need to seek him as a friend you need to know him you need, to, you need to know the power of his resurrection. What does that even mean? I think it means seeing the way that Jesus can bring newness into your life. Where you were dead in sin before, watch him fix you. Watch him change you. Watch him grow you. Uh, where you were uh, dead in sin, watch him bring you into the abundant life that he has for you. Uh, maybe it means not shying away from his sufferings and participating in them. What does that mean? Maybe it means mourning with brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for their faith in Christ. Maybe it means mourning the sin in the world or hating injustice or, or desiring mercy and restoration of the broken. I think that's why we're collecting food for those who are doing it tough. I long to see Jesus speak into their lives just through a little act of love. Maybe it means taking up your cross daily and serving him and dying to yourself and learning to serve the risen king. That's how we know Jesus. That's how we live with Jesus. We experience him day by day. And wherever you're up to on that journey, God's not done with you yet. I can tell you that for sure. God is not done with you. He has got more for you. There is more to discover with Jesus. There is more to experience. There is more to know. And so press on, brothers and sisters. Press on towards the goal. And when it feels too hard, you know, on those days when joy is lost, you feel like giving it up. Remember that it's Jesus who called you into this relationship. Um, Do you see that in verse 12? He's the one who took hold of you. And he gave you grace and he forgave you and he turned your life around. And it's him who's steering you towards your heavenly goal. So press on. He's got you. You can be confident of that. We began that question uh, with that question today. Do you know for sure that you'll go to heaven one day? I think if you know Jesus, you can be sure. Uh, Rod, did that video work out? Why don't you just watch this before I pray for us? Next file, please. Mm-hmm. Some lying, some stealing, and some acts of kindness here and there. I tried to live a good life. Well, let's see how good. This way. 
next. Bio, please. Okay, I admit it. I did a lot of bad things. Yes, I see. But I've done good things too. You know, to offset the bad things. Like one time, I cheated on a test, but then I cleaned up trash in the park. Mm-hmm. That should balance out, right? Let's find out. This way. That should have balanced out, right? It should have balanced out. Next. Bio, please. Impressive. Oh yeah, I devoted my entire life to make this world a better place. I dug wells in Africa. I donated blood every month, and I ran an orphanage in India. I mean, I just wish I could have done more. Mm-hmm. And is this your subscription? I only read the articles. I only read the articles. Next. My mom goes to church. Was baptized as a baby. Take American Express, right? Next. File, please. Whoa. Somebody's been busy. Well, let's get this over with. Sorry, um, I didn't know he was with you. Okay, step on the scale. Not you. Him. Hey, wait a minute. That is totally not fair. That's why it's called grace. Next. That's why it's called grace. You don't deserve it, but he gives it to us for free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to come to you boasting of the things that we've done, but instead help us to come to you with nothing in our hands to trust that your death is enough. Your righteousness alone makes us clean. Help us to have faith in you. Help us to have confidence that you are steering us towards heaven. And Heavenly Father, may we all put our trust in Christ alone. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing about what it is to be a child of God. <laughs>